Abandon all prejudices, all ye who enter here. Park your paradigms, perk up your ears, and open your mind, as we now shine the laser light of reason on the topic of how to conquer boredom. Hello, I'm David Bolton, and welcome to my podcast channel dedicated to helping people think more clearly, make sounder judgments, avoid superficiality, and above all, to unceasingly question instead of naively accepting what others want us to believe, for this is the path of Socrates. My friends, I can honestly say that I don't remember the last time that I was bored. Hey, maybe I just have a bad memory. <laughs> maybe it was yesterday afternoon, I don't know. But no, that's, that's seriously true. It might have been years since I was bored. I, I don't quite remember what it was like. Could you say the same thing? I, I hope so, but probably not. Have I been in boring situations? Well, yes, for example, doing some kind of TV shoot for, well, Japanese TV, I do some acting work there, and sometimes you have to wait long hours, but there's always somebody to talk to, so I killed boredom by, by talking to people. Or I sit there and I just think. Now, I can say, in all immodesty, I have the most interesting mind I've ever encountered, except maybe for my wife's mind, for your mind, for the mind of the baker down the street. What do I mean by that? I mean that, of course, for me, my mind is the most interesting one in the world. That doesn't mean it would be for you. And for you, your mind is or could be the most interesting mind in the world. If you let it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I see so often that people rely on not in order to not be bored, people rely on externals. You know what it's like. You have to wait a long time in an airport. You have to wait five hours in an airport. You think, oh, well, I have to have a book. Or, well, no, these would be a cell phone. I'd have to be sending messages, and I have to be maybe watch a little movie, right, to, to kill the time, because otherwise I'm going to be bored. The truth is I could sit in an airport for eight hours, and I wouldn't need a book I, I used to, but many years ago, I wouldn't need a book, I wouldn't have to watch any movie, and I wouldn't be bored. Why? Because I think. And there's so many things to think about. I, I compare my mind to a jungle. Yes, that's how savage and primitive it is. But besides that aspect of it, <laughs> I mean the sense that a jungle is full of life. There are thousands of types of plants and insects and, well, that I wouldn't want to meet, of course. And there's just so much there. And yet some people, I have the feeling that their mind is like, kind of like the North Pole around that region of the Arctic. What do you see? Oh, snow and more snow. Oh, there's a sky. Today it's blue. Yesterday it was gray because it was cloudy. Oh, look, there's more snow. There's some ice. Oh, 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 there's an ocean. Oh, I see the ocean there with some icebergs floating around. Oh, here's more snow. And oh, look, there's a polar bear. We better hide because that thing will tear you apart. And that's about it as far as their minds are concerned. They only have maybe 10 contents of them. I get that impression a lot of times. Now, of course, that's not true. But maybe they've hypnotized themselves into thinking it's true. In other words, they program their minds to think, well, if I want to be entertained, I have to watch a movie. Or if I want to be entertained, I have to have a book at least. Or I have to I don't, do, do something. But, but it's seeking externals. I have to have a conversation with somebody. 
They can't just sit there and think and entertain themselves. Except they're having certain types of fantasies. Well, then they can. But otherwise, of course, in an airport, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> otherwise, they're saying, oh, what should I do? I'm nervous and I have to... Da, da, da. Look, just relax and think. That's the best way to get over boredom. Now you're saying, but then it's easier said than done, I realize. Okay, so what things can you think about? I'll tell you what I do. And this is something, you know, often other people help you become aware of yourself. <laughs> That's very often. I remember some 20 years ago, somebody asked me, he wasn't, I like to go out running every two days. He didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, and he was like 28 years old. And he said, David, when you go running, what do you think about? And Because he said, you know, running for me is really boring. Go and run for a half hour, even a long walk. He says, kind of boring. I said, well, no, for me, it's not boring. I'll go out and I'll pick a subject. Could be abortion something politically controversial, for example. It could be the economy, could be inflation, it could be any one of a number of things, how to create a better educational system, it, it could be uh, the possible uses for alternative medicine, and what things in alternative medicine can really help and what things really can't help, or normal allopathic medicine, what things are good and what things are not good. Any, I could pick any one of hundreds of subjects, and then decide I'm going to think about that. And when I'm running, I'm thinking, for example, the abortion issue, the pros and the cons. I don't just think about the side that I agree with. I think about the other side and try to come up with the best arguments for both sides because that's the way you can approximate the truth. You dig more deeply into any subject. That's a mistake many people don't make. They only look for arguments for their own beliefs and they don't pretend that they're the other person on the other side. How could they best back up their side? I do that. It's second nature to me. Well, I explained that to him, and he just looked at me for a few seconds and said, you know, you're really weird. <laughs> and I'd never really thought about it, but I thought, well, don't other people do similar things? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> for me, it's just second nature to think about things. It's a good exercise to do. That's one way to overcome boredom. Other ways that might interest you more, maybe you have a problem in life. Think, okay, I have to wait in this airport for four hours and I forgot to bring a book. And I don't want to just be be weakening my eyes looking at the screen, the cell phone. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And so you think to yourself, okay, I have a certain problem. There's a problem you have with your job or with your family. Some, I don't know, maybe you have a teenage daughter who's giving you trouble and how to best communicate with her. And just think it through. Think of different possibilities. Write them down. Pick a problem to try to solve in that time. Or maybe, for example, for years you've wanted to get into some kind of exercise routine, but you haven't done it yet. And take the time to think, okay, the five hours I have to spend this airport, I'm going to come out enriched because I'm going to think it through. Why haven't I started exercising yet? Oh, because I'm kind of lazy and because it's an effort. Say, so, okay, how could I minimize the, the pain there? Well, start exercise program, but just, I don't know if you maybe don't start jogging right away, but just take vigorous walks every day a certain amount of time. And then you go into jogging and then running. You plan it. You write it down. And you want to try to do push-ups. Maybe you can't do any yet or just one or two. So I'm going to start by doing one for the first week. And then I'll do two and then three. Every week, an extra one. And in 10 weeks, you're doing 10 push-ups, which, of course, isn't that many. But if you're really out of shape and maybe overweight, well, that's something to be proud of. And if you can do 10 after 10 weeks, then you do 11 after 11 weeks, and then 12, and before you know it, you're doing 20 or 30, and then be really proud of yourself. But these things should be planned. 
and you can take that time to make such a plan. Ask yourself, the next time you have to wait a long time, how can I become a better person? Just something in general. And then the first thing that pops into your mind, it could be something like exercise, it could be something you want to change in your diet, it could be, for example, in your human relations. How often is it the case, and with how many people, how many people tend to say negative things much more readily than they say positive things? Do you know what I mean? For example, people in your family. You might be very quick to point out to your sister, oh, that's a stupid thing you did. But she did real, something really great. Would you be just as willing to say, you know, that's a very good and noble thing you did? Probably not. For some reason, there's kind of a block when it comes to complimenting people and saying positive good things, maybe because you get teary-eyed because it gets emotional. Because it, Why do you get emotional? Because it's a beautiful thing that other person did, and you recognize it, and recognizing it, telling your sister that, for example, that's a good and noble thing, and it makes for a beautiful situation. It's so beautiful, you get tears in your eyes, but then that's kind of a sign of weakness. Tears. So I think, oh, I don't want to do that. I might get emotional. Isn't that a little sick? Let's face it, isn't that a little sick? Would it be better to make it a point to say at least as many positive things as you say negative things? It's easy to criticize, oh, and believe me, I know that. Oh my God, believe me, if you listen to my podcast episodes, criticizing humanity for their stupidity in these last few years with these so-called vaccines. And I do it to try to wake them up. I purposely insult people to try to wake them up so they want to argue with me so then I can show that they're standing on, on sand. They don't have any firm basis for their, for their views. The fact is, I love humanity, and I really like people. I'm interested in people. When people do things are really dumb, you just have to point it out. I, I'm a, I'm a very, I can be a very severe critic, but I can also praise a whole lot as well. And you have to make it a point. To, you know, I have a friend in America, one of the most remarkable people I've ever met in my life. And... I don't know if I've ever heard him say anything negative to a person. Not that he's an introvert that never meets people. He knew so many, he's a total extrovert in many ways. He knows so many people. But he only says positive things to people. Rather than say something really negative, critical, he'll just change the subject. But so often, if somebody, I don't know, starts out, I don't know, I'll just make up an example, and they wrote a little song. Well, he's written a few thousand songs. He's really an expert at that. But even if his, their song isn't good, he's not going to say, well, you know, you really have to work at that and say, hey, hey, that's pretty good. You have to write another and another one. He'll encourage them. What a beautiful way to be. I mean, what a beautiful type of human being. Always makes it a point to say positive things to people, try to build them up. He doesn't, I don't think I've ever seen him show envy whatsoever. Somebody else is better at something he is, he'll readily, he'll say, wow, you're really good at that. What a beautiful way to be. Why aren't we all like that? I mean, I've known him since college, and yeah, that rubbed off on me. When I meet somebody that's really good at something, I'll say, wow, that's really fantastic. And I think he helped me get to that point, because it's not always easy to praise, but it's such a beautiful thing. That's something you decide in your five-hour wait in the airport, <laughs> as an example. You're going to become a better person. You're going to make a point to say something nice to people every day, especially if it's your spouse. How many people go to bed angry or they insult each other or something like that? There's nothing wrong in telling your spouse that you, you love her or him 
every day at some kind of moment. Even if it becomes like a routine thing, it's still good. Like, oh, I love you. Oh, yeah, I love you too. Even such, it's still saying it. It's better than nothing. And then to put it in different words sometimes and not make it so mechanical, that's even better. And these things you can plan to do. You can make a list of things, how you want to change, how you want to improve yourself. It could be with exercise. It could be that you decide to read more or to get into a subject more. And you decide every month you, or every three months, whatever, depending on your reading speed, I'm going to read a book about this, about uh, the American Revolution or whatever it is, or about uh, new cooking techniques. My wife would love me to read cookbooks so I learn how to cook better. I, I I just can't get into them. And even if I read them and do the recipes, I do everything wrong. Okay, we have our weaknesses. I'm kind of uh, mentally challenged when it comes to things like cooking. And I admit it. I admit it. There's some people that cook so well. And my sister-in-law, if you're listening, you know who you are. Only have one. I think so. Only have one sister. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. And she's such a good cook. And I have to admit it. Uh, but then she's an artist in other respects as well. Uh and I'm a musician, okay, I'm pretty good at that, but other things, uh, not as much. But yeah, praise people, that could be part of your plan, things like exercise. And you notice I didn't really get away from the main topic, is how to conquer boredom. But this is a very positive way to conquer boredom. In, in, just, in just four hours, three hours, two hours in an airport, you could plant the seed for changing your life for the better. Think about that. Think about it. You have to wait for two hours in the airport. It's only two hours. But in that time, you come up with some ideas because as you're making your list of how to improve yourself, you say, hey, wait a minute. What about this? What about that? Now, don't bite off more than you can chew. Don't make a list of 100 things because you're not going to do them all. Let's face it. The things that pop in your mind that somehow are important. It doesn't have to be a specific thing. You don't have to sit there and oh, what, what is it again that I want to do? You know, searching for something in your past that you thought of. No. Keep your mind open for anything that pops into your mind. Look at the different layers of your being. The physical, for example. How do you become physically stronger? Well, you think exercise and or diet, right? And that could just be as simple as taking a walk or walking to place instead of driving if it's not all that far. You know, and, but make it a routine. I'm going to do another episode sometime on the importance of routine because it can be our <laughs> worst enemy or a best friend. But here... We're talking about the conquering of boredom. So don't bite off more than you can chew. Don't come up with more plans than you know you could ever practically realize. Keep your mind open for anything that pops into your mind and then evaluate it. Think, hmm, that would be a good idea. That's how I can make myself physically better. And uh, by that, I don't mean, you know, especially women out there, I want to look better, so I'm going to buy a nice dress. No, I don't mean that because you haven't really improved yourself. <laughs> your dress might be prettier than the one you were wearing the other day, but that doesn't mean you've improved yourself. You see what I mean? No, it has to be something to improve yourself. That would mean, for example, exercise or, uh, or better eating. It could just be more positive suggestions that you give yourself for the physical. It could be overcoming some kind of illness. Maybe you have some kind of thing that's been ailing you. Uh, maybe you have like a, a pain in your leg and some doctors say, well, if you do some a certain type of stretching exercise that will help, but you haven't gotten around to doing it. Well, then start doing it. That will improve you physically. That's the physical level. Then we have the emotional level, things like complimenting other people, making it a point to compliment other people. 
they will feel so good and you will feel good. And that's going to improve your emotional relationships. Or even the casual relationships with the person down at the store, you know, I don't know uh, uh, what it could be. You pay them some kind of compliment. Now, if you're a man listening to this and you think, yes, I know what I'm going to do. So you go into that Walmart or whatever and you, you go into your favorite uh, checkout line with that really hot 18-year-old girl and you, sit, and you say, you know, that dress you're wearing, that really accentuates your voluptuous figure. I don't mean that sort of compliment because she's heard that a thousand times before and she might call the manager and you might end up in prison for being politically incorrect. I don't mean that kind of stuff <laughs> you know what I mean? because she's not going to take that so much as a compliment be, well, for obvious reasons. I don't mean something like that. Uh, a little trick though for you guys out there that, that are thinking curses foiled again. That's just what I was going to do. Uh, if uh, yeah, there's some kind of cute woman at the checkout and you would like to compliment her physically, uh, don't do that. Compliment her in some other area, in some mental area. For example, she smiles and says this, and you say, it's always nice to come this line because you have such a nice smile. That's not saying, well, look, you have such a hot figure, you know what I mean? Or you always seem so cheery. Well, assuming she does. And if she's not the cheery type, you could say to her, you know, you seem to be an interesting person. And she'll say, why? Suspect you're going to say something sleazy. You say, because the others here seem so cheery, but you seem more genuine because you seem more serious. I'm sure interesting things are going on in your mind. Okay, have a nice day. Bye. And she'll think, well, he sees that I'm somebody special. <laughs> now I'm giving you <laughs> techniques on how to <laughs> get together with girls. Uh, but you see what I mean. That can also be a compliment. And even if it's an old person there, there's still something nice you can say to them, if appropriate. If you have to really think, what can I say nice to this sleazy looking person, then don't say anything, granted. But what I'm insinuating here, so often we have opportunities to say something positive to people, but instead of that, we're just trying to build up ourselves, making a good impression on them. Instead of seeing what's good about them and recognizing it and saying something along those lines, that will improve all your relationships. And this is something in your next moment of boredom you can plan to do. How am I going to do this? I'm going to, have, I'm going to set a goal, for example. Uh, three times a day, I'm going to say something really positive to people. And I'm going to write it down in the evening to, to see, okay, today I said four times something positive. Ooh, today I said 10 times. Uh, today was only one time. I better catch up tomorrow. Maybe you were in a bad mood and didn't say anything positive. And in time, it will become a habit. So then you, more and more you start doing that. And that's just an idea in what to think about when you're bored. It's self-improvement on the emotional level. On the mind level, well, we have reading books. We have thinking things through. We have also uh, on the mind level and also the become a better human being level. How about this one for you? How about, for example, if you're suffering from Trump derangement syndrome, you just absolutely can't stand him. Uh, or the opposite, uh, you just can't stand any Democrat you ever met because they're all communists or whatever. Why don't you sit down and think, okay, let me think about some possible things that a Democrat did, for example, that might have been really positive. Or they might have said that, hey, it might have been really positive. In other words, try to think of positive things that the other side that you can't stand did. Because what I'm seeing is that there's a total demonization of the other side. And yes, among politicians, there are a lot of sleazy people and a lot of people that, you know, shouldn't be in the offices they, they hold. 
I think that's pretty clear. And with Trump, I think he did a lot of good things for the country, but I can criticize him on certain points. The final verdict isn't in yet on some of those points. I won't get into them yet. Uh, but, but yeah, I can think of some tough questions I'd ask him that he wouldn't want to answer, let me tell you. But try to take, for example, if you're an atheist, think of religious people you know, and think of the good side of religion. And there are good sides of religion. Or if you're very religious, think, okay, what about atheists? Why did they think the way they do? And what could be good about that skepticism they have? Because there are good things about that skepticism as well. See what I mean? This is making you a more tolerant person. Interesting, huh? Also, if you ab well, if you think of entertainment, because as I said, we're looking in order to overcome boredom. So many people just look for entertainment. It has to be something external. It has to be a movie. It has to be at least a book, or it has to be a conversation with somebody else. And all these things I've just told you, you can do sitting alone, not talking to anybody. But you're thinking certain things through, making lists of things, how to improve yourself physically, emotionally, mentally. What about spiritually now? Because that's the next level. And yes, the spiritual is a dimension of human life. No matter what atheists say, it is. I'll get much more into that later. One of the reasons why we have so many problems in the world is that people don't recognize the spiritual dimension. And by that, I don't mean because we don't have more Christians or people in organized religions. That's really part of the problem. In a sense, those people are on the right path, but the path has become so distorted by organized religion. You don't believe me? One thing that you can think about and the next time you're bored in an airport, for example. How many religions are there in the world? Let's just take types of Christianity. I read like 40 years ago, there are 250 types in just America. By now, it's probably 500 at least, because on internet, you make up your own religion or whatever. It might be thousands, but let's say, let's say there, I'll be conservative here, 300 types of Christianity. Did you ever think that they can't all be right, because each one's different? If two groups teach exactly the same thing, it's the same religion. But they always differ in some ways. Some, for example, think that at communion, uh, you're taking the body of Jesus Christ in a substantial form somehow. And others think, oh, no, it's, it's, he's just there spiritually. And others think, well, it's just a symbol. And others think, well, it's just a celebration, but not, not too much. They have all these different beliefs. And for other things, too, some think you have to go to church every week. Others, well, no. And others believe this. If there are 300 types of Christianity, they all differ in some way. They cannot all be right, each one. At the most, only one type could be right. Which type is right? Ask a Baptist who say, well, the Baptist church. Ask a Catholic, well, the Catholic church. Isn't that kind of stupid? Ask a Muslim, oh, it's Islam. Well, you know, they could all be wrong, but they can't all be right. At the most, one is right. But if there are 300 types of Christianity in America, and assuming that one type is right, your probability of being right is only 1 in 300. It's less than 1%. Wow, that should make you think. That should, make, that should fill up the entire several hours waiting at the airport if you've never thought of that before. If you're, for example, a Catholic or a Lutheran or whatever, and you think, wait a minute, there's so many types of Christianity. And how do you know your type is correct? Because your pastor tells you that? Well, of course he tells you that. You know, that's like a politician telling you, we politicians are all honest. <laughs> well, you're not going to hear, you know, well, of course they'll say that. <laughs> Some might say that. Of course, the pub, these days, the whole audience would laugh because it sounds like a joke. And it probably did 50 years ago as well. But you see my point. 
you can't believe the Lutheran pastor when he would even say that, or Catholic priest wouldn't say, we're the only ones that are right. They used to say that. But now they say, well, well, you know, our, if you're Catholic, well, our Lutheran brothers and sisters or our Muslim brothers and sisters. And yes, the right on that, we're, we are all brothers and sisters on this ship, the earth, the ship of fools, as I tend to call it. <laughs> and I've been a fool too in my life. Don't, don't think I'm being arrogant here. I, I'll readily admit it. But uh, yeah, all the religions can't be correct, which means at the most one is correct, and most probably even that one isn't correct. And I'm telling you, all these organized religions are not correct, and they can't be correct in everything they teach, which means most of what they teach they should take and throw out the window. And some are <laughs> doing that, but for other reasons. <laughs> That's because people are just losing their faith. But what they all have in common that I'm convinced is quite correct is the spiritual basis for us humans. All the types of Christianity and Judaism and Islam and Buddhism, that's different in some respects, but yes, that there's something beyond this physical life. They're all correct in that and they all share that. And the fact that they all share that indicates that that's one of the things that is a truth. You see how that goes. That train of thought alone could fill up a few hours, I would think. In your mind. Now, once again, it depends on what your mind is like. If your mind is like that North Pole thing, you'll think, okay, all religions can't be true. Only one at the most could be true, but how do we know that mine is true? Or atheism. Well, that could be true, but it doesn't have to be. Is there any counter evidence for atheism? I think there's a whole bunch of it. Atheists haven't really thought it through. I think atheism in large part is just a reaction to the excesses of religion. In other words, they see some of the crimes religious have committed, and they just reject it all. But that's throwing out the child with the bathwater, so to speak. And they don't recognize there is a spiritual foundation, or for you atheists out there, to put it simply, materialist atheists believed the beginning was matter. Well, energy is, well, matter is, is a form of energy. So you believe in the physical, energy and matter. And when things got more complicated, our minds developed and consciousness first, and then our minds, but they can't explain how that happened. They can't explain why that happened because it didn't happen like that. I'll tell you right now, it didn't happen like that. At the beginning was not matter, simply matter and energy, the way we know it in physics. In the beginning was spirit, and, and the physical, that is matter and energy, was a result of spirit behind it. Then everything becomes much clearer. And there's evidence for the spiritual, we won't get into that now, but there is, I didn't say proof, I said evidence. Proving things is something you can't even do in a court of law. They say, oh, here is proof. They really should always say evidence. I'll get into that in another episode, the difference between proof and evidence. But imagine what interesting subject to fill up even a few hours of your time in an airport. If, on the other hand, and you know, we're entertainment addicts, but many people are. The thought of just sitting there and thinking terrifies them. Maybe because they have problems that they think they can't solve. Let me tell you, any problem you have, you can solve. Maybe the solution isn't going to be to your taste, but there's some kind of solution to it. If, and if only the solution is to accept the inevitable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, perfect metaphor here, perfect example, would be 
the pilot says, the pilot on the plane where you are, uh, the co-pilot comes on and says, uh, bad news, people, the pilot just dropped over dead. And I have to tell you, I suspect it's because he just got his third booster shot. But, well, that's a pilot. But don't worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be able to land this plane. Of course, he would never really announce it like that, but just imagine. And then, uh, then a few minutes later, the plane starts wobbling around. They think, my God, who's in control here? And then a stewardess comes on, have some bad news. The co-pilot, who also just got his third booster, he just also dropped dead. <laughs> and what happens then? Well, then it's like in the movies. The plane is going down. Everybody, ah, ah, and they're all screaming. And I always thought, even as a kid, I thought, what a ridiculous way to, to, to end your life. I know, and I won't say I think, I'll say I know, if that ever happened to me, well, of course, it wouldn't be that both pilots dropped dead of the, of the so-called vaccine in the same flight. That's highly unlikely, highly unlikely, not impossible, but highly unlikely. That one does, yeah, I think we most likely already had cases like that in the world since there's so many thousands of flights, but that both in the same flight, that's nah, not too likely. But no matter why the plane is crashing, I always simply knew I would not be screaming and yelling like an idiot. Because, you know, you know you're about to die. There are two possibilities. Either there's nothing, but at least go with a little dignity. At least think about, well, my life was like this, and now it's going to end. You know, be philosophical about it. And if there is a spiritual world, you don't want to enter into that screaming and yelling like a maniac. I know it's a normal reaction for, for many people because people aren't – it's not a question of control. It's not that I'm totally controlled. I don't know. <laughs> It's not that. It's just that it doesn't make any sense. I know when that plane was crashing, everybody around me might be screaming. I just, I'd just be thinking, just shut up and let me think until, until the inevitable happens, and you know we go up in a big ball of fire because the plane just struck some mountain or whatever. You see what I mean? Why not use your last moments to think, to ponder, think, well, my life wasn't too bad. I achieved this or that, and now it's going to end. Okay, just accept it. Not that I wouldn't be scared. Of course I'd be scared. But I'm not going to be screaming like a maniac. But I think that's a sign that people just aren't aren't centered in a sense. They aren't centered within themselves, and they and everything external that happens. For example, with the COVID thing. Oh, COVID, COVID! Everybody's terrible. Oh, keep a distance. Don't come close. Really, fools. You can only say fools. And even when the CDC came out and said something honest for a change in May 2021, that there was no evidence that anybody would get COVID passing by somebody else on the street. Even after that, they're still wearing the mask and keeping, you know, I don't know how many feet of six feet distance. Even though that was admitted by the CDC. But it's because people are so reliable on externals. And that's why so many people feel boredom and they simply, and they simply, oh, I have to have something. It used to be smoking. I have to have a cigarette. And for some people, sadly, it still is. Or others, or I have to look at my email. And they have to do something. But they can't just sit there and think. And maybe because the contents of their mind, either it's like the North Pole, that there's practically nothing to think about, which is almost a crime against yourself if you're like that. Because believe me, no matter how barren your mind might seem to be, if you open up cer certain doors there, you're going to have a flood of colors, impressions. There's so many things in your mind. You just have to let them run free there. But in some cases, because people have maybe negative things in their mind, fears that they don't want to face, face those fears. It's said of Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, the great German writer. He was one of the last Renaissance men. He, he was good in every area he tried. He was good, uh, even in science to a degree. 
and he was a good athlete and he was a, he was a musician and he was one of the greatest poets of all time among the germans maybe the greatest and he was also a novelist and he was also a politician <laughs> the guy could do anything they, they estimate his iq at maybe 200 or something like a super genius but he had certain fears for example he had a fear of heights so what did he do well he was young he was in good shape he climbed to the top of a church tower on the outside just to experience it, he did it, I think, a few times, just to get over his fear of heights. I'm afraid of heights, and I'm not about to do that. <laughs> I guess he can climb better than I, I'm not about to do that. I'll, I'm chicken. I'll admit it. <laughs> I'm not going to climb the top of some church tower. Uh, but he was an example of somebody who would do things just to overcome his weaknesses. And that's not a bad idea. But the heights thing, you know, not, not in this life. You know, I'd I just rather avoid heights. But here was a person who was was willing and desirous of doing everything he could to improve himself. So, I've given you some mm, some impulses here, I hope, some ideas, things you can think about, how you can turn three, four, five hours of just sitting there in an, in an airport, even if your cell phone has no battery, or even if you just decide not to have it on. The things you can do, the things you can do in your mind, things you can think about. And let me tell you, if you learn to do this, you will never be bored sitting there. You will never be bored. Another question is, if you're forced to do some kind of work that's boring, and you must do the work, you can't just let your mind wander like that. You have to do the work, and it's totally boring. That'd be the subject for another episode, I would think. In other words, how to, how to shape your life that it becomes less boring. That's In a sense, that's a bigger subject. But I'm talking about now, people sit around, oh, what should we do? I don't know. I'm kind of bored. <laughs> I don't remember last time I felt like that, really. Because even with other people, you know, you want to do something with a friend. Oh, what should we do? I'll think, oh, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. Let me tell you. I started this podcast channel in April of 2021. It would be two years in April. I've done, I think, hundred and about 100, almost 180 episodes. But I have a list of subjects to talk about that started compiling when I began the channel, April 2021. My list contains over a thousand things I haven't talked about yet. <laughs> and the thing is, every day I have at least one new idea. Yes, there was five new ideas that I add to my list. I don't know if I ever have time to talk about all these things. Probably not, because for every episode I do, I think of two or three or four more things I could do. Because my mind is a jungle. It's not the North Pole. <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's a jungle. And there are millions of things in it. And the, the thing is, in yours also, okay, I might have read more about, uh, no, certainly I've read more about many subjects that a lot of you, especially younger people have. But it doesn't matter. Even if you're young, there's so many things that you could grasp onto and think about. And you should practice doing that. You should, because practice makes perfect. Well, we'll never get to be perfect, but practice makes you better at least. <laughs> that practice makes perfect is, in a way, wishful thinking. <laughs> no matter what you practice, you won't become perfect, but you'll become a whole lot better. So the next time you have to, for example, <laughs> had it the other day in a doctor's office and had to wait to see a doctor for results of some blood test, uh, routine kind of stuff, and had to wait for like an hour and a half. Was I bored? No. I took a book along for about 15 minutes to read a book, and then I don't need the book. I was just thinking and thinking and thinking. And you always come out a better person because you think, you've thought things through better. 
no matter what subject. Pick a subject, some something you debate with your friends about, like pro-Trump, anti-Trump, and think of both sides. Don't just think of your side of it. Think of the other side, as I said. Oh, that's a really good exercise, good exercise and tolerance as well. Not saying you should change your views, although if you think it through, you think, wait a minute, their argument's better than mine. Maybe you should change your views. Be mentally flexible. Or to recap here, what I said at the beginning, think about how you can prove yourself physically, different ways you could do it, and make a plan for it. Write it down. Write it down. Make a plan. My plan to become stronger physically. You just become a little stronger. I can only do however many push-ups. Uh, I, I know what that's like. You get up to a certain amount. A couple a few years ago, it was up to like 70. And being over 60 years old, that's not too bad, right? But then I stopped doing them for a while, etc. And then you get worse, it goes down. But it doesn't matter. Whatever your level now is, if you even only do one push, if, if you can't do any, think of how could I get to be able to do one push-up? Maybe you're overweight, you have, have never done push-ups. Well, you can do them with your knees on the floor, for example. Or you can do them at a certain angle where your hands are higher than, than your knees. You know, like you have a something there. You know what I mean? So that, that it's easier to push up. Get the point where you do one push-up, and then two, and then three, and then lower your hands. You know, put hands and knees on the floor. And after you can do a whole bunch of them, then try them without keeping your knees on the floor, right? Until you do one push-up, and then two. Make a plan for it. I'll get into that later, the importance of making plans for things. And then check your plan and be sure it's not unrealistic. If you can only do five push-ups, think, yes, by, by I don't know, by the end of the year, I'm going to do 500 push-ups. Not very realistic. To go from five to five hundred. <laughs> I mean, five hundred push-ups for anybody. I don't care who you are, even if you're a trained athlete. Five hundred push-ups, unless you're an expert just in push-ups. Uh, good luck with that. I know Charles Atlas, the famous strongman. He would do sets of, you know, like a set every day of two hundred push-ups. But even he would do five hundred. So don't set your goals too high. Make it realistic. But when you achieve that goal, even if it's only ten push-ups, when you achieve it, celebrate. Think, wow, I achieved that goal. And then move on to number 11, 12. I'm using push-ups only as example here. It could be something totally different, losing a little weight. Uh, people like to sign up for gyms, for example. Because, they think, well, if I pay 50 bucks a month, then I know I have to go. I never like to do that. You become a slave to, uh, become dependent, paying money. There's so many body weight exercises. You can do better by setting up your own exercise program in your house, in your basement, or your living room, thinking what it is, or going out walking in your backyard. Because then you don't have to pay anybody any money and you show discipline, not, oh, I better do exercise because I paid that money. No, you do it because you want to do it because you decided you're making yourself stronger. You're exercising your willpower and you're developing more discipline. And that's more positive than feeling forced to do it because you don't want to be forced. I don't want to be forced to do anything. I want to do it because I like to do it. But I know that to become better in anything, you have to practice. So I force myself I don't want anybody else telling me what I have to do, except for my wife who says, you didn't wash this plate, well, do it again. And she's right. Practically always she's right. And so I say, okay, I'll do it again. <laughs> you know, men out there, let me tell you, you say you're the king of your household. You're the master of your universe. But let's be real. It's not you, it's your wife. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I think you know just what I mean. If you're wise, if you're wise, just admit that it's your wife and don't argue with her. Unless it's a really important subject we have to argue. Well, then yes, then then yeah, then you have to argue. But otherwise, just accept that your that your girlfriend or wife she's always right. 
humor her and and be wise except the fact that a lot of times he is always right when it's about certain things at least uh, what can you do i digress here in a hopefully humorous way but you see what i mean in general discipline yourself get yourself to adhere to some kind of a plan and it doesn't have to be physical it could be emotional like complimenting people every day it could be intellectual some kind of goal i always wanted to know more about the american civil war well, history is one of my things. Maybe it's not one of yours. I always want to know more about how to do this or how to do that or about um, nutrition and vitamins. I want to learn more about what different vitamins are for, something like that. Instead of a plan, you're going to read a book about it or just through the internet and write things out. You're going to actually learn it. It could be anything. It could be you like to collect old furniture, maybe sell on eBay or something. You're going to actually read a book about furniture and furniture styles. And when they started, just because it's an area that interests, it could be, in the end, maybe you're, you have an old furniture shop then because you've learned so much about it. It fascinates you so much. It doesn't matter what it is. But use your moments of boredom to improve your mind, to improve yourself emotionally, intellectually, physically. And to think things through, to think through subjects, anything comes in. Use that, that uh, source, that incredible source, of everything basically which is your mind because everything in the world that you know you only know through your mind make your mind richer and so you can turn hours of boredom into maybe one of the most productive times in your life by sitting there thinking things through getting clarity on different subjects if it's like politics economy whatever uh, and deciding to become a better person and those three, four hours in an airport that otherwise would have been spent in boredom or just with, with empty entertainment, watching some movie on your cell phone, hurting your eyes because it's so small, you could turn into something so positive. It could be the seed for a much better future for yourself, making yourself a much better person. So now you have it. One of my secrets on how to become a better person and how to, how to eliminate boredom largely from your life. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you for following me on this, The Path of Socrates. Till next time, bye now.